The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Today, I'd like to welcome Ola Majigadumi. Ola Majigadumi is a freelance journalist and writer, RT2FM researcher, Irish language broadcaster, public speaker, board member for Forest Nagelga, and Mother Tongues Ireland, and a voiceover artist. Okay, welcome to the show, Ola. How are you? I'm glad. Thanks, Simon. Okay, so Ola, you're you're in Dublin in Dunleary, and I was just asking Ola there how COVID was, and she was telling me. She is managing to get out and go to the pier a little bit. It's good because I'd say in Ireland right now, some people are kind of really sick to the teeth of the whole lockdown. It's one year in and it's pretty demanding on people, no? Yeah, definitely. Like, it's just unbelievable that's one year. Like, we did not think this like a year ago that it'd be going on for one year. So it's really taking a toll on people's mental health, to be honest, and we are really all hoping for better days. I don't know how things are in Spain, but like here in Ireland, we're meant to open up on the 5th of April. So we're all fingers crossed. The cases are going down. There was no debt rates for the last two days. So just hoping for the best, really, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, here here they've kind of have a different balance now. It's like a, it's a, like a balance between the economy and, and health. And the numbers aren't too bad here. I mean, it's a much bigger country. But I think Ireland has yet to kind of find itself in a place where they can balance the economy and the health, you know, because what's happening, I find a lot in Ireland when I talk to my family and my mother, you know, it it seems to be a bit extreme in some cases, you know, with hairdressers getting arrested and this kind of thing. So I think over the next few months, it will, you know, the grip will loosen a little bit. So hopefully people will start having their liberties kind of back again, hopefully, you know. Yeah, that's what we're all hoping for. Because, like, honestly, I just miss it all so much. Like, I haven't seen my boyfriend since last year, like, December. And it's just mad. Like, it's just everything's crazy. And, like, I miss my friends. Is your boyfriend in Ireland or in England or where is he? No, he's in Ireland. Like, he's in Wicklow. So he's a bit further than the 5K that we're limited to. (laughs) Wow. And, And even though it's only, like, he's only in Wicklow, it's still very difficult to see each other. Yeah, no, we can't, like, because, yeah, he's well over five, so he can't really be in my bubble, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, that's that's a shame. But, yeah, I know, I know that's hard on people because, you know, w- when people used to say, oh, I'm in a long-distance relationship, but you don't think Wicklow is a long-distance relationship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. So, listen, let's let's go back a little bit. Um. You know, when you look back on your childhood, tell us about your early memories or one of your first memories as a child. What do you remember? Yeah, gosh, I just kind of remember growing up in Ireland and like, you know, the country was just starting to be diverse. And I just remember all the challenges, I suppose, like just, you know, like I I was just seven months old when I we moved here. And I suppose just that time as well like Ireland was so there were people were used to like inward migration into Ireland because people were so used to people leaving the country rather than coming in so I just remember like things that you you, you'd say then you can't say now you know and I think people used to be a lot more ignorant back then maybe and I'm not saying that ignorance has completely gone but like I think things are a lot better as well and I'm just I just look back at the country and how much has changed and I'm just like, wow, you know, that's amazing. Because like whenever you look at I don't know, reeling the years on RT or something, you're just like early two thousands, late nineties, like, wow, that was a different place, you know? So it's it's great that things have really changed. Like we're shaping our cultural diversity, the country, and it's just great to see. Yeah, I, I sometimes think, you know, when 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 people talk about diversity in Ireland and racism and culture and everything I think a lot of it is it's you know people kind of say sometimes this thing you know like um you know they they have no bad intentions but it's not about that sometimes it's about people just being culturally unaware or culturally ignorant and you know I remembered myself growing up you would 
talk to older people. And, you know, I remember once this man saying to me, he said, oh, I saw a black man in the town. And I thought, OK. And he said, I've never seen a black man. And and it was really innocent because he wasn't saying it in a racist way. He had no hatred. He had no bias towards him. But he was genuinely saying, I've never seen anybody besides my skin color in my small little town. And that's something Ireland had to wake up to because for years we had been the mix and the paddies in other countries. And now we had all people from Romania, people from Nigeria, people from Kenya, people from Poland. And so it was something we had to turn around and go, OK, now we have to open the doors. So, I mean, I, I think now, of course, I'm sure you have felt it and friends of yours have felt it. There is a bias still, but I think it's changing and for the better, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny how you say that a man was really surprised to see the black man. And I just wonder what year it was that people stopped being surprised seeing people of colour around. Like, I just remember seeing a tweet from someone saying, like, back in 95, he was really surprised seeing a black person and he thought about it for several days and then he felt racist for feeling that way. And I just, it's just funny for me, like, hearing that and seeing that because, like, it just seems, like, funny and it's mad because you wouldn't think that now, obviously. But I, I do wonder what year it was that people... You know, I watched your, your what, what is Irishness video and I, I found it really good. And the thing is, I, I think it's a lot of people have this misunderstanding that, you know, anybody from an ethnic minority or anybody from other countries, um, it's like, oh, we have to be really careful what we say. And, you know, it's like, you know, foreigners and stuff. Like, I mean, even for me in Spain, I'm Irish. And in Spain here, sometimes I do feel prejudiced against. I feel like because I'm a foreigner, because you get some Spanish nationals here who look at people from other countries, like, why are you in our country, you know, taking our jobs and this stuff? And even I, even in where I live, I have some neighbors here and they don't make us feel welcome. And, you know, so this kind of argument sometimes that it's only against underdeveloped countries is not necessarily true because it's about... You could be from a developed country, and the thing is, if if somebody feels threatened by your presence in the country, or you know, then they will they might say nothing, which is worse than anything sometimes, or they will say too much, or they will leave comments or say snide remarks. But you know, it's 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 a shame it still happens, but it's something that we have to just get over. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's great. I, like, I look at Ireland now every time I go home or every time I watch Irish television and I'm thinking like, wow, Ireland is really diverse now. Like, if you watch First Dates Ireland or you watch any Irish TV shows, I'm like, I'm in Spain seven or eight years and I'm thinking, wow, in those seven or eight years, Ireland has come a long way in, in how it's portraying its culture with diversity, no? Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. So, like, what you were saying earlier there about, like, it's not just, you know, people of colour that are discriminated against that's totally true like I'm totally aware of that I know that people from Eastern European countries can be the same sometimes and you know it is funny kind of seeing that, that you were saying that it's, I mean it's not funny but like just for me from my perspective I think that's mad because like you look at Spanish people and Irish people it's like we're both like you know the same race and you're still discrimination against each other so it just shows yeah, like yeah. the human race like we're just never pleased we're always gonna have something against each other really to be honest and yeah like seeing Ireland and how culturally diverse it is like on screen it's getting better like we still have a long way to go but it's getting better like because I always say when I was growing up you know it was Samantha Mumba and that's it that was like the only rep black representation really to be honest well, like now we have so many boys. <laughs> Good old Samantha Mumba, yeah, yeah. And you know, you know what's really interesting. I remember when Samantha Samantha Mumba was out. I never got the impression that she wasn't Irish. Like I never, if I talk to somebody and say, "Oh, Samantha Mumba's great," whatever. I think I, I always got the impression from people they always regarded her as completely being Irish, even though maybe her family's heritage is not from Ireland. But I think. The thing is that, unfortunately, in Ireland, sometimes like people can look at you in a bit better light if you're successful. And the, Maybe, you know yeah. what I mean? The fact yeah. that she was successful, it was easier to appreciate her. Whereas 
if she had been Samantha Mumba living down the street in the next estate and she wasn't successful, maybe she would have faced more racism. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. She could, she probably faced a lot of racism. But the point I'm making is that if you're successful, you're more accepted sometimes. Maybe. And, like, the thing is with Samantha Mumba as well, she's mixed heritage, like her mum's Irish and her dad's mm. from an African country. So, yeah, like, the thing is, like, obviously there's a lot of racism against mixed-race community here in Ireland, and there has been in the past, and many people are not aware of that. But there can be maybe added, you know, weight to it as well when you're someone who's Afro-Irish. So you have both parents that are from an African country, for example. That's interesting. But here's a question I'm going to ask you, and people probably don't ask you this question often, okay? And because, But it's something that I, I kind of feel strongly about. Do you ever get sick of talking about the whole, you know, racism like where you're from does that ever do you ever just kind of go i just don't want to talk about that because it's like sometimes you know like i'm in the i'm in the car with my wife in the morning and she wants to talk about something and i'm tired and you're like i don't want to talk about that now so i can imagine the for you and anybody who kind of fights this battle a little bit sometimes do you feel like sometimes oh i just have enough talking about it and i just want to be like accepted for just being a person it doesn't matter who i am or my skin color or anything because it must get pretty tiresome no oh yeah of course like i like i like when i was starting off in the media here you know i would always do lots of interviews regarding race and that sort of thing i was happy to as well because i just wanted to put myself out there to be honest but i think it's come to the time that like you know i have the experience i want to talk about different things and i have stated that out online as well you know i don't like us as a community we're not just here to talk about racism we have so many other interests and people are realizing that now like you know i get gigs for different things now like to do with different things and that's great like that people are realizing that because sometimes you do just feel like a product of you know if you're just talking about race all the time like you feel like you're a token and like like a spokesperson or something yeah yeah, exactly. And I always tell people I'm not a spokesperson for anti-racism. I'm a journalist, broadcaster, first of all. So that's something that like I can't be talking about all the time. And I'm not an expert on it either. So, you know, I'm not always the best person to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's why I didn't, I don't want this, I wouldn't like this interview to be like that because I understand it's part of, you know, things you do when it's in your life. But for me, I it's more, you know, it, it doesn't matter where people are from, you know, because it's, um, for me, it's one of these things where, it's it shouldn't be the first question where are you from or it shouldn't be like my wife is polish and you know she speaks in an irish accent because she grew up most of her life there or her later life and the thing is but you she always gets asked that oh are you you're irish but your accent's different or there's something different so this question is always there my my sister is married to a, an indian man and uh, they have two indian kids so they're mixed heritage so i know they're all going to get asked that question as they get older but it's something i think we have to move away from as well where we have to say rather than where are you from or where are you really from or you know this kind of a thing i think the question should be more oh your 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 father's from nigeria or your mother's from spain or whatever because that's the interesting part you know and like that's why i thought when i want to talk to you today i thought i, I don't want it to be about that whole thing i just want to kind of get because for me what happened was i saw your profile on linkedin and i thought this is really interesting and what was the most interesting thing for me was the fact that you're a great spokesperson for the Irish language, you know, for me, I thought that's brilliant because the thing is in Ireland, and I know myself uh, be, being a product of the Irish school system, which when when it came to other subjects was brilliant, but when it came to Irish, it was terrible. And we used to write rap songs in Irish in, in Irish class, but we we never learned that we like we did the teacher it wasn't their fault it was just the way the whole system and syllabus was set up and now when i see you know people younger people embracing the language I, you know i feel like wow here am i living in spain i've learned spanish so i'd love to learn irish but it's just it, it's hard to do especially in another country but even in ireland it's still hard to do 
Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's mad because I think, like, things have really changed for the Irish language. Like, I think a lot of people are just seeing it as an actual language, a living language rather than school subject. Of course, there are still people out there that are saying it's a dead language, it's useless, blah, blah, blah. But there's so many people putting so much effort into promoting the language in a better light. And to just show people that this is a part of Irish identity and like it has a place in our society and like we should cherish it. And that's something like that. That's one of the reasons I'm on Mother Tongue Sports for uh, Ireland, because I'm so passionate about minority languages. And I get thinking about my own native tongue, Yoruba, as well. And just how I just want these languages to live on. Because like sometimes I think about like, you know, Aboriginal culture in Australia, for example, and how their culture is dying out. Like they have so many languages and it's dying out. And I just find that really upsetting because it's just like this identity is dying out. Like that's scary to me. And I wouldn't want that to happen to Ireland or Nigeria. So I'm doing whatever I can as a person individually and amongst so many other people to better it yeah and, and I, I i applaud you for that i think it's brilliant because you know like having looked at yoruba there it's really interesting because i mean it, it has a heritage i don't want to say it's similar to ireland but there's a lot of like song and poetry and sculpture and stuff so there, there's some similarities there isn't there so like maybe you said you you were born here or you came here when you were seven months old so you know, later on, as you became a teenager, you probably learned it. But for your mom and dad, when they came to Ireland, did they see similarities between the kind of Irish culture of poetry and song and dance? And like, was there similarities for them from from uh, their culture? Yeah. So for me, like, I always had a year about my language. First of all, like, I grew up with the language. I never even studied it, but like, I always knew what my parents were saying. I understood it. I'm not hundred percent fluent, but you know, I'm getting better as an adult, I suppose. And yeah, like through my parents, I suppose the thing is they didn't even know that Ireland had their own language, to be honest. So it's actually quite interesting that they put me in an all-Irish school. But yeah, I suppose like there are connections between the two countries anyway, historically, you know, due to the Biafran war in Nigeria. A lot of like, you know, priests from Catholicism came over to help. Um, the Igbo people and yeah so like and my dad had like an Irish priest as a teacher like when he was in primary school and he remembers him being strict and that sort of thing so yeah I mean they were very familiar I suppose in that aspect with Ireland already to be honest and like I suppose the connection between the two uh, countries cultures as well is that like they're just rich cultures the languages are rich I wouldn't say there are any similarities really in the in terms of the speaking language i would say that like in yoruba things sound things can almost sound the same and sometimes i find out with irish that like certain things can sound the same sometimes so it's really about like just i suppose knowing it yeah when Pete, i saw that recently someone was saying you know when someone says da and it has a few different meanings so i suppose until you learn a language it can be confusing can't it yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, like that's definitely one of the challenges, but I think that's a fun thing as well, like a fun element to just like figuring it all out. So like I would definitely like recommend to people to take it on like um the Irish language because like you can discover so many new things. Yeah. And and Yoruba, I mean it's a it's a very kind of Yoruba is not just a language though, it's also a religion. It's very spiritual, isn't it? Yeah, so, like, Yoruba culture has, like, lots of different traditional religions. Um, so some of them could be, like, Ifa, for example, and um, Shango as well. And, yeah, like, that's the thing about Yoruba culture. It's very rich. It's very di diverse as well. And, I mean, for the most of Nigerians, I think, the, I suppose in a way the culture is dying out, but I think people still respected very much and like traditional religions would be a very small percentage in the country to be honest like most people are more muslims or christians but i think people still really respect the traditional culture and yeah i just hope people carry on with the language as well because like my older siblings live in nigeria like i know with my sister with her like eldest child 
she didn't learn you're about the beginning like they felt like it's cooler to speak english so that kind of attitude can be there as well like oh it's cooler to speak english it's more it's more useful that kind of thing so people are starting to think like that but you know hopefully that doesn't wear out like hopefully that doesn't continue <laughs> yeah and when when your parents came to ireland they were fluent in English because, as you said, they had an, an English, an Irish teacher and they probably had uh, spoken the language a lot before they came, no? Yeah, so that's the thing that people don't actually realise. Um, Nigeria was colonised by the British, just like Ireland. And it's funny because people can often ask like just any black person that question sometimes, oh, do you speak English? Like I remember me sitting in Trinity College ages ago and two American women came up to me, white, and they asked me, do you speak English? And I just thought, sorry, like, what? Like, first of all, I actually wanted to ask them, is that what you ask, like, African-American people in your country? Because yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. just working right now. Like, I was so angry. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, like, I just remember yes, being kind of... You were like, yes, I fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nuts to me, like, like how can you associate someone's language with their race? Like, like literally, nearly almost the whole world speaks English, you know? And I think people kind of, they kind of connect English to intelligence. I don't know if you noticed that, but like, I yes. just think that's really wrong, like, because it's just a language at the end of the day. Like, If you're in France, if you're in France or anywhere, and you are in Spain or whatever, if you're in France and you say, you meet a person on the street, even if you have very limited French, you say, parlez-vous français, and you're asking them, do they speak French or parlez-vous anglais? So you don't assume that they don't, you assume they speak French, but you don't assume that they might speak, they mightn't speak it because you're thinking, you know, they could be a tourist or they could be living there, but those pe- those women were kind of assuming you didn't speak English. Mm, yeah, they were. They definitely were. And it's odd to me because just because you see I'm black that you think I don't speak English. And I don't know if people realize, but a lot of African countries have English as their official language. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just ignorance in that sense because people don't realize, you know, how far the English language has spread. I mean, there are a lot of countries that you know, I see Spain here, for example, people love learning English and they want to speak English all the time, but but yet they really speak in their own mother tongue a lot, which Spanish. And so, you know, and that's to be commended too. I mean, obviously with with Irish culture and with the colonization and everything, it was harder and the language died out. And I don't know if that was the case in Nigeria. Do you feel that the language was affected by the colonization of the English? Not as much as like Irish language here. So like still a lot of people would speak the three made indigenous languages anyway, like Yoruba, Igbo and Hata. So it's not as much as with the Irish language. I suppose there's so many languages in Nigeria that they can't all die out. Like there's over like 600 or so. So, you know, it'd be harder to like kill all those languages. But... Did you, like, for you learning Irish in school, was it just a natural thing or did you have to work harder to learn Irish? Did you go, like, to, you know, the Gaeltic and, like, how did you get into Irish so easily? Yeah, so the thing is, I went to all the Irish schools and basically how it happens, I always tell the story that my parents, well, my dad saw the leaflet for the school in at the post we were just living down the road from the school at the time and he just thought sure why not like it could be like an opportunity for because the thing is like i'm i'm the youngest in the family and i came here seven months old so it's so much easier for me to get into the system and to learn the language really because they do say that you learn the language easier as a child so yeah like my mum always tells me that like i started off in the school and I was pleasant on my first day and I seemed grand like that's just how it started really and then after that went to an all-Irish secondary school and after secondary school I actually went into English so I studied English media and cultural studies I suppose I don't know I, I suppose I just wanted to take not a break from Irish but like I suppose I just wanted to immerse myself in something different 
So I did that, but I always maintained like the Irish language with me. So I've been like broadcasting with Raj and Lith, and that's really helped me keep the language. Because I don't know if a lot of people realize, but even when you do go to Gwell's school, if you don't continue with the language after school, you will lose it. So I've just been really lucky, I suppose, to have Radio Lifa helping keep the language within me and also being a part of Irish language life as well. Yeah, the, um, my I have two nephews and they went to all Irish schools in Galway, you know, and uh they, I, I don't know actually, you know, I don't see my one of my nephews that often because one of them is in England and the other is in Ireland. But I, I don't know have they maintained the Irish after leaving school, you know, because that's the hard thing. It's like any language. If, you know, whatever Spanish I speak now, if I move home to Ireland and I don't maintain it after a few years, you'll be foraging for words and it will be more difficult. It, it'll come back to you. But in, in a kind of immediate conversation, you'll be fumbling. You'll be like, oh. I can't remember that word and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes that happens to me as well because I don't speak Irish like every single day, you know. I do have a part of my work now and again. Like, I would definitely speak it every week, but not every day, like. So, you know, it is a bit complex, especially, like, during coronavirus as well. Like, you're not seeing people. Like, you're not communicating. Like, I miss the pop of Welltooks. I don't know if they have that in Spain, but I miss it. Like, just meeting right. other people and speaking Irish, like. Just seeing my friends, yeah. And and tell me, like, so when your mom and dad came here, like you were seven months old, right? And um, so how many? Like you, you said you have siblings in Nigeria still. But when your parents arrived here, how many people came? Was it your? Was there had you a few brothers and sisters coming with you? No, it was just me and my um, parents. Like, and yeah, like I suppose that wasn't the plan initially, but like, sure. Life just does its own thing, to be honest. And there's many complexities being an immigrant, being an immigrant that's not used to the Irish system and Ireland also not being used to immigrants. So it definitely has its challenges and complexities. Like, to the, yeah, to this day, I think like it's still very hard for immigrants, of course. And like, especially like if you're an asylum seeker as well, it's definitely there's a lot of challenges you know and i think people like in the wider irish community don't really realize that as well so like growing up i would have gotten all sorts of questions about my family and you know people don't realize things outside of their own bubble and their own privilege as well and i can't blame people but i really hope that people start to realize a lot of things now and i think especially after black lives matter as well people are actually like looking outside of their own space and just trying to put themselves in other people's shoes as well and just realizing okay this person goes through that i don't go through that so what can i do to help or how can i understand their story that sort of thing and so many people have reached out to me as well like since then like since black lives matter so that's just been great i really hope that continues that well, do you think in ireland the black lives matter movement is very uh, strong or it's only growing um, I mean, it only started really, like, well, here, the thing is, people don't realise as much that Black Lives Matter started in 2016, and there was actually a march here in Ireland for that back then, but it wasn't as big. But then the one last summer was really big, and, you know, that reached the wider community, and people are actually thinking about it a lot more. And there's so many events as well to do with, like, you know, race and trying to, you know, study your unconscious bias and all that sort of thing. So people are a lot more open to it. And, you know, all these companies as well say, you know, we want to be diverse and inclusive. And I just hope people actually mean their words, you know. Yeah. But here's the thing, right, that because diversity obviously is embracing all types of societies, but then it's a very hard thing sometimes it's kind of like you know obviously with feminism and you know i i there's all different terms now womenism feminism and equality and so here's a really interesting thing i find is that like someone said to me one day oh well feminism and equality are the same and i i said i don't really think so i don't agree they are because for me feminism is you know where you're kind of you're looking on behalf of women. You're trying to support women's rights. You're doing all this. Whereas equality, you're trying to make the rights equal amongst everybody. So they are different because it's kind of like, you know, two football teams and the ref in the middle is the equality. And each side is, you know, 
you know, men's rights, women's rights, and the ref is trying to say, well, let's all have them the same. So my question, I suppose, is when it comes to, you know, equality among races, you know, whether it be Asian or, you know, Caucasian or black or whatever, do you think that there, it will be very hard to get a balance where where one doesn't exceed the other? Because now, obviously, with the Black Lives Matter movement, and especially with media outlets, which can be quite fake, sometimes they don't say anything because they don't want to offend, which, whereas in, in essence, we should have a very open conversation about the, the, the pros and cons of each thing. If you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean, like having that open conversation. And that's the thing as well, like ever since Black Lives Matter as well, like the Asian community has been coming out, I think particularly in America saying, you know, like, let's look at Asian lives as well and the, age, the racism Asian communities again. And that's the thing, I think, I think as well with Black Lives Matter, I think it, it actually represents anything that's not white, essentially, to be honest. But mm, I think yeah, yeah. we need to we do need to divide the different struggles because we need to recognize like Asians, the Asian struggle as well and what they go through as a community. You know, I think sometimes they are quite overlooked in the wider society, to be honest. And, you know, looking at Latino struggle as well, that may be more in the American context and that sort of thing. So we do, we can't just collectively say, you know, we want equality. What type of equality do we want, you know? With feminism as well, we can't just say, you know, we're all the same. All women are the same. We're not. We have different struggles, different level of struggles. And that's where intersectionalism comes in as well. So it's a complicated discussion sometimes, to be honest. But I think at the end of the day, it's all just recognizing the different struggles, to be honest. That would that would be what it is for me. Well, I, I, and you know, it's it's kind of a bit like in schools where one time everybody was just thrown into the one classroom and everybody had to learn. But then as we evolved through the education system, people realized that some people had deficiencies in reading or writing or, you know, there were autistic children. There were all kinds of different problems. So now you have, you know, learning assistance and, you know, people helping in different areas. And we we actually, even though we're all trying to be the same, we have to recognize that there are parts of society that need more help than others or, or need more funding or need more awareness than others. And I think that's something we can't get away from. And, and that's where the diversity has to come in, because, for example, like you said, the Asian culture living in Dublin or in Ireland could say, well, these are the problems we face, which are very different to, let's say, the black culture in, in Ireland. So we need those problems addressed. But it's about who has the louder voice at that moment, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I noticed actually during Black Lives Matter that, like, I think sometimes Irish media kind of lumps us all together. So all people of colour all together. And, you know, that term people of colour is a bit problematic anyway, to be honest. But I do think Irish society just kind of sees anyone that's non-wise as, you know, just foreign or personal colour or whatever, like, to be honest. So that's another thing itself of realising and, like, kind of assessing as well. And, yeah, that's the thing. We just can't be all lumped together. And I think we're realising that. You see, in England, if you notice, there's BBC Asian Network, there's BBC Africa and all sorts of things because they have really grown as a multicultural society. Maybe one day we'll have that here in Ireland too, once we've got to that, you know, that time. But we're still trying to find our feet, I think, as a nation as a, that's grown multiculturally. So, you know, it's a process and I understand it can't be rushed. And I know it's frustrating for my generation because we're the generation that's really speaking out. You know, our parents were scared maybe to speak out because, you know, it was all new to them. But now us it's up to us really to lay that down for the next generation and you know racism for me is never going to end but it's at least we can educate people and lessen it as, as well yeah. yeah and you know the thing i think is that ireland is has two sides to it it's very very welcoming country but then we have prejudices under the surfer surface sorry and biases as well so what happens is sometimes it's like 
you, the older generation would say, oh, well, you know, we don't want to split up the, you know, the, the cultures. We want everyone to all be one big happy family. But, you know, like in every family, you know, your parents say, OK, now uh, you, you have a little less rights than the parents because we're older and we, you know, we deserve these rights and you will get them in time. So the, the culture in a small island or a small country can be a bit like that. It's not it goes unsaid. But you'll find some societies or some cultures will have less rights. And but they're like, yeah, but everybody's made feel welcome. So what needs to happen, what has happened in the UK is that those kind of societies break away and hopefully not completely, but they form their own things, their own support networks. And then it, through time, they form their own TV channels and media and so on, or it's provided there. So I think that has to happen in Ireland. We have to kind of realize we can't all be in the one room as one family all the time. We have to have moments when each culture shines, no? Yeah, definitely. No, I definitely agree with you there. Like, it is about just showing each culture shining, to be honest. And, you know, hopefully it gets to that point and... I think people are thinking about representation a lot more. Like for me, um, myself and my cousin and a friend started Beyond Representation like two to, yeah, two years ago, almost two years ago now. And basically what that was about was just giving women of color here in Ireland a chance to celebrate them, to give them a platform to speak, to to show all their achievements because sometimes you just don't get that representation enough on the big screen. And if other people aren't going to do it, we're going to do it ourselves, you know? So then people will start realizing what you're doing and advising you to do things. And, you know, it's still a big problem getting that right representation. And I hope after some time, things are will improve. Things have improved to this point, but you know, there's still room for a lot of improvements. And also, it's about, like, not just using us to share our stories, but to actually have us involved in these systems, in these workplaces. You know, it's not just about using us, our stories are traumatic sometimes. It's about actually having us involved. If you want to be diverse and inclusive, that's from the bottom up, you know? And, you know, the thing we have to avoid as well, I used to always see this in America, you know, when they talk about the movies and making movies. And, you know, I think it was famously in that movie, um, the Scream or one of these horror movies, you know, or scary movie when they did the, the parody of Scream. And the guy said, the, the <laughs> black actor, I don't know his name. He said, I'm the token black guy. And the thing is, in Hollywood and in, in the movie industry, that is a very real statement. There are token cultures, like token Asian guy, token Asian girl, token blonde girl. There are certain roles they have to fill to kind of try and appeal to everyone. My fear in Ireland is that we don't start kind of getting this thing where uh, the media starts you know, embracing cultures because it's a trending topic. It has to be for a genuine reason. It's not just because, oh, well, we have to be seen to be, you know, culturally acceptable and to show these ethnic minorities that we're hip and we're woke, you know. So I hope that kind of thing doesn't start happening because, unfortunately, the media and entertainment can be very fake in this way and they can show something that's not real, but to try and say we're all inclusive, you know. That's the thing. Unfortunately, it has already started. And to be honest, I don't think it was just with Black Lives Matter. I think it was before that, even well before that. And I think it's about fitting quotas sometimes. And that's the thing about quotas. Sometimes they're not, they're not the worst thing, but you know, the reasoning behind it isn't the best either. And I don't want people of color to just be put on a screen or in a workplace because of their race. It needs to be because of their actual talent as well. Like, I, I'm not here saying, oh, fill up 50% people in your workplace, people of color. If they don't have the talent to be there, then they shouldn't be there. So it's about talent. It's about actually having the skills. There's so many people with these skills who are still not getting the chance because they're being overlooked, unfortunately, for whatever reason. You know, and sometimes racism does come to play in it. But yeah, it's just, 
it's just a difficult thing, really. And it's it's really up to the powers that be as well to dismantle this. And that's the thing with tokenism. Sometimes you do have to start that way in order to, you know, build a movement sometimes. I mean, I'm sure I'm the token black Irish. Well, sure, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> it just happened to be, you know. <laughs> no, well, well. Well, you know, I don't know if the word token is, but I, I'd never, I'd never regard you as that because I, I think, you know, it depends on how you say that word, that tokenism. You know, is it said in a positive way or is it said in a way that's kind of meant to be, you know, a slight bit negative, but it's there. So, but but let's let's go just to one thing there. You know, obviously you said the talent. So let's talk about your talent. Let's talk about, you know, you studied. Like communications and stuff in 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 Dunleary, wasn't it? Institute of Art and Design. And so, what kind of you know? At what age did you feel did you feel like you wanted to go into media? When did that come about? It's funny because I think from a young age, I've always wanted to be entertaining, whether that be singing, media, or acting to be honest, and my mum always tells me about the story of how we were in, I think, I don't know what hotel it was, but we're in a hotel, and there's two American ladies beside us, and I was, I was pretending to, like, interview, I think my mum and dad, and they were like, oh, do you know what she's doing there, pretending to be a presenter and stuff, so, it's, I think, from a young age, I just always want to do something a bit out of the box, not something, like, that's seen as normal or whatever, and, it's funny because, like, this probably sounds strange, but it's funny because my mum said that, like, she remembers kind of being approached by a psychic, and I was just literally a little baba in the buggy, and the psychic was like, she's going to be a broadcaster. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, what, yeah, I don't know, like, if that played a part or that my mum lived up to that or whatever it was, but, like, for me, just myself, I just had always had interests in that sort of area. And I've been working in the industry since 14 years old. Like I started with work experience at Dublin Center Farm and then I went on to Rajin Lifa after my leaving search in 2014. I've just been there ever since. And that's really what opened the doors to, you know, RTE, Tuchikaha, BBC. And the Irish language obviously has been a big help as well with media work and yeah like I, I you know my ambition really is to be presented maybe on tv Oscar. I, I want to give people something different and I hope Ireland is ready for that I think sometimes people and our broadcasters maybe are kind of scared to do something different but I think taking a chance always t- pays off mostly so fingers crossed you know <laughs> but um yeah, like I've always been interested in like acting and that sort of dreams thing. are important, and I mean, and, and you know, uh, you have to be ambitious, and and you know, I I think it's great. Like I see there, you you started kind of doing journalism and writing stuff in twenty fifteen and everything. So I mean, from an early age, you were kind of thinking, okay, I want to do all of these. I want to dip my toe in all of the pools and see which one I like more, and being able to combine them all together because. That's the thing, I think, through society, sometimes they say, okay, pick one job and be good at it and don't stray into other territories. But now with entertainment, you can do everything. I mean, you know, I I was a musician and a guitar teacher and English teacher and all. And, you know, I never really kind of thought I'd get into podcasting, but someone said, no, you should do it. And then eventually I thought, okay, I'm going to try it. And you, you just don't know where you can fall into like you could you could say I'm gonna be a radio presenter and then in six months later you could be on the TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's just different things like like you were saying, dipping my toe and everything. And also as a freelancer as well, you get to do that a lot. Like that's one of the joys of freelancing, definitely. Like just being able to do all sorts of stuff. Like even the voiceover artist skill, like that's something I only started like last year because I was invited to like do some voiceover with Go. And that was great. Like, I really enjoyed that. That was Australia as well. So, yeah, like, I think just once you put your name out there and stuff and your profile, like, people just start to ask you to do different things and that kind of thing. Like, you'll always remain having your core passion. But, like, it's nice to be able to dip 
your toe into different things. Like I always wanted to be an actor actually uh, when I was a teenager, and I used I used to go to all the big acting schools in Ireland and um, train there and things. And it's still something that I be interested in getting into. I think I think at one stage I just got really self conscious over my body and stuff, and I just kind of stopped. But like as an adult now, I'm realizing that you know. I should let those things affect me. So, yeah, definitely I'd love to get back into it. Is there, you know, like with all the things you do, you know, like, you know, presenting and, and directing and everything, is there one thing that's kind of your favorite? And if you, not, not that you ever have to choose, but if you had to do one thing, um, which would it be? What, what do you love doing the most? Oh, that's a hard one. To be honest, when you ask that question, my mind went straight to like documentary making. Because, like, even doing that video, yeah, doing that video, what this Irish is like, I just put it out a message there to challenge people's perceptions. Like, that's something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm currently, like, in the works of doing something similar. And, yeah, that's just something I love doing, like, just challenging people's perceptions in whatever way. And through the Irish film, like, that can be really powerful. Going on to that, like, what does Irish look like? Um... I mean, it, you've won some awards and everything. Was it very hard to get it shown in, in these film festivals? I mean, you know, because I, I know you had it in the Belfast Film Festival and stuff, but is it hard to get it shown on TV as well? That's the thing. People actually approach me to show it, you know, at festivals and on TV. I think I remember doing an interview with the Den TV tree. So I went on a lane show and they showed like a clip of it on TV. And I just remember thinking, wow, like this is exactly what I wanted. And it happened, you know, I watched it again on TV. So that was great. Like the attention it got and just challenging people's ideas and that sort of thing. Like people actually said after it, you know, I'm not going to ask people where they're from anymore. But it's not necessarily about people not asking where are you from, but just knowing the intention behind us and just questioning themselves before they ask it why am I asking this you know I should assess the person maybe first before I ask the question that sort of thing you know just being maybe a little careful yeah nowadays obviously you know uh, because the world is so much more politically correct and even when it comes to like sexuality and you know teaching children how to be um you know to be tolerant of other sexualities and races and everything but when we when we look at it now in society, what's sometimes lacking is that people say you can't say this, but maybe we should have more education about what you should say. Mm, that's an interesting that take. That's a good take. I don't think we talk enough about that. Yeah, that's very interesting. And you know about the thing you were saying, what you should say. So I wrote an article recently for the Irish Times about names and pronunciation, getting the pronunciation right and why it's important. And I mentioned the article, I think most of us that don't have, you know, the regular English name would just prefer if people actually ask, how do you, do you pronounce that? And I think a lot of people thought, well, okay, actually that would be just much better. I think some people feel a bit embarrassed maybe asking that question, but there's nothing to be embarrassed about because really that would mean so much to people like myself with different names for you to actually take the care and ask. Can I tell you a secret? The other night I was there and I was thinking, I was going to ask you how to pronounce your name because I didn't want to pronounce it incorrectly. And I was just about to type it and I looked up at your name and I saw the, the audio symbol. And I was like, no way. I thought, I've never seen that on LinkedIn before because I was talking to you on LinkedIn. And I thought, that's clever. Yeah. And then I, and then it got my mind thinking. And I was thinking, well, maybe, yeah, maybe some people have a problem pronouncing all his name. Yeah. So that's a clever move by you to say, well, okay, I'm going to help you a little bit so you don't make that mistake. And like, I mean, it helped me because it, it was clearer then when I was, I said, okay, now I know how to pronounce it. So maybe that's what we need to embrace more is to show like we're we're well able to educate kids in what not to say but maybe we should sometimes look and say well this is what you do say so for example just going back to that thing what do you think you know if you were to say to let's say irish teenagers or irish you know parents or whatever instead of saying where are you from or where are you really from is, is there a correct way to ask that question that's a hard one i mean 
you could say where your parents from, you could say where you're living, you know, where it's home to you, you know? Yeah, it's a tough <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, no, it's a tough one, of course, I totally understand this, you know? I'm not so about to give, trying to give people a hard time, and even with the name pronunciation thing as well, you know, there's definitely some trolls on Facebook saying all sorts of things, but like, <laughs> it's funny to be honest, free entertainment, but like, the thing is, like, yeah, it's just about getting people to think. Like, I'm not trying to force anyone to do anything. It's just trying to give people an alternative. <laughs> yeah, and but I mean, I think it's it's nice and it's respectful when people, you know, even my name, Simon. I mean, in Spain, some people say to you, is it Simon or Simon? And I'm like, whatever you like, whatever you like, you know. And sometimes, for example, if I was teaching someone English and they say, for example, my name is um, Jorge. And I would say, but they would say, my name is George. And I'd say, but is it really? And they would be like, what do you mean? And I'd say, but do you, do you call yourself George in Spanish? And they were like, no. And I said, well, then don't change your name. You don't have to. I mean, if you want to, it's fine. But you don't have to change your name into another language to suit other people. Because you should have the name you want. So if your name is Pepe, call yourself Pepe. If your name is Simon, call yourself so whatever you like. But the thing is, you don't have to change it just to suit other people. Um, but if someone has a problem pronouncing your name, like my wife is Polish and her name is Ryskowska. And it's a difficult name for people to pronounce when they read it they look and they're like oh my god all the vowels are mixed up and everything it looks really difficult but you just have to take the time and if you're not sure ask them mm, exactly yeah like that's the thing you were just saying there like about like um not changing your name to suit people like like a lot of from non-nigerian people their names are shortened like my parents shortened mine to Ola. um some people could call me more Ola. like i'm totally fine with that as well and that's the thing, like, you you do kind of, I suppose, especially if you have, like, a different, maybe foreign name, you, you are trying to subconsciously suit other people, but at the end of the day, your name is your name, you know, it was given to you for a reason, and you should just embrace it, unless you want to change it, of course, and, like, yeah, do that if you want, but, yeah, like, I think it's just important, yeah. And, it, it, you know, the actually, when I said that my wife is Polish, her name in her name, uh, like her proper name is Alexandra. But in Poland, her name is Ola as well. Oh, yes. Yes. Were you the one telling me that? Or was there someone else saying that on LinkedIn? Yeah, because in, in, in Poland and in Russia and Eastern European countries, Ola and Olek, is uh, Alexander and Alexandra are royal names. So the thing is that when people have them, their they, their families always call them like the pet name of Ola. So when I when I when I met my wife first, and I'd be in her house, and her parents would be Ola Ola, and I was like, oh okay, and uh, her uncle is Olek and stuff, but he's real proper name is Alexander. So it's funny that name, how families can have a pet name or in society. So what's your, your, your name is Ola, but what's your full name? So my full name is Wera Ola. Wera Ola. Yeah, Wera Ola. So no one really calls me that in my family. Maybe some people, might, like distance relatives might say Wera. Like, to be honest with that name, the more common shortened version would be Wera. But I suppose my parents thought, gosh, would people be able to say that in Ireland? So they just went with Ola. And I mean, even in the article, I said, like, people still have issues with Ola, even saying it properly. But yeah, like, I have, that's the thing when you're in Nigeria, you have different names from different relatives and pet names. So, like, my, I know, like, one of my brothers calls me Peju. So that's a pet name. <laughs> and yeah, like, no one, like, that's the thing, actually, my, where Ola is my middle name, but I use it as my first name. My first name is Olufemi, and I do not associate myself with that name at all. So, like, if someone was to call me Olufemi, I'd just be like, who's that, to be honest? <laughs> like, with all my kind of medical um Yeah, things, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, with all my medical things, and, like, obviously, governmental things, like, it would be, uh, obviously, Olufemi, where Ola, but day-to-day -day life. You know, it's either we're all out or all out that's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And actually, be, because that's a new thing now, because is the whole idea of Irish names. So 
Are there any people you know from Nigeria or from other countries who grow up in, in Irish-speaking schools who change their name to make it Irish in any way? Have you ever seen that? I don't know anyone of Nigerian background, but I have seen other people I remember um, in my own secondary school, maybe from maybe an Asian background, that um, maybe has an Irish name. I'm not sure if they changed it or if they're born with that or whatever, but yeah, I, I've noticed that, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it, like definitely in the Asian culture, I've um, I've done a lot of teaching like of Chinese students and, and everything. And um, what's really interesting, I worked in this company in Spain and they were, you know, a big technology company and they would have Chinese people coming over from Shenzhen, Shenzhen in China. But what happens over there a lot is they have a Chinese name, but then they take a Western name like Kevin or Scott or something, right? They just take this name to make it easier. So we were, I was in a class one day and there was a meeting across in the other room. And so I came out of my class and there was two Chinese guys and uh, one of the Spanish people introduced me. And they said, oh, this is, these are the two workers from China. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you. My name is Simon. And the first guy said, I'm George. And the second guy said, I'm Cloney. And I, I, I just thought in my head, George Cloney. <laughs> right? And I was like, I was like, and the Spanish guy looked at me as if to say, I know exactly what you're thinking. Because everywhere they were going, people would say, this is George Cloney. <laughs> George and Cloney. And it's really interesting because they sometimes take these names and it happens in the Latino countries as well. They take famous names like Kevin Costner. You know, in Spain here, you can find children in the school and their first name is Kevin Costner because they, in, in South America, in some countries, they take, like there was even a famous story, I don't know if it's true, of a child being called New York Yankees. So, you know, this expression, what's in the name? So I was wondering there was obviously because in Ireland, if you're Irish, you can change your name. You know, you have an Irish name and an English name. So I was wondering then for children who are, are mixed heritage growing up in Ireland in the schools, would they say, oh, well, your name would be this in Irish? Because, I mean, it's very hard to do with some names, but maybe some people have tried it. I mean, if you have an English name, you could probably do it. But like, if you have a name like mine, like you can't. <laughs> so like, yeah. But I remember like in primary school, people, there was a teacher that used to put like a father of my own. Like she was trying to make it gray look in some way. I just, just so odd. Yeah, really odd. <laughs> That's mad. Let's talk about Mother's Tongue Ireland. So I was looking on the website. And so it's quite interesting because it's focusing on bilingualism and languages amongst children in Ireland. Like, so what's really interesting for me is that it's uh, like, it's it's a great idea because it's kind of especially now in the past we wouldn't have had bilingual children but i know even now with my own kids you know they speak spanish and english and when they go back to ireland if we go back in the next few years and they have to go into a school and learn irish or whatever then they're going to have three languages and stuff so so i mean this is it's a tough thing for some families with languages no in ireland yeah, like, that's the thing. There's so much language diversity in Ireland right now, and particularly in certain areas as well. And I suppose the thing with Mother Tongue Ireland, they're trying to, like, show that, you know, it doesn't need to be a difficult thing raising your children bilingually or multilingually. Like, this could be a beautiful process. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, children, you know, having so many languages is going to be complicated. But it doesn't need to be complicated. And that's that's the thing that would have been said to me as well growing up. So... Yeah, the aim with Mother Tongue Ireland really is to just showcase that, you know, Ireland has become a, um, you know, culturally diverse language nation and we should embrace that and we should, you know, help parents as well. So there's a lot of courses online with Mother Tongue Ireland. There's a lot of events, you know, we have the festival, Mother Tongue Ireland Festival. That would have been in February, but with coronavirus, it's going to actually happen in May. So yeah, I'm on the board for that. And we're always trying to look for new initiatives and ways basically to push out our agenda. Wow, that's really good. I think it's a great idea. And, you know, I, I think, yeah, the 
more and more as we get more immigrants into Ireland from other nations and everything, you're going to have lots of different languages. And, you know, obviously, as you said, there, you, there can be kids and they're, you know, at home and they're speaking Nigerian and then they run out to their friends and they're speaking Irish and then they might go to another friends and they're speaking Gaelic. So, I mean, it's great, but, but it can have its challenges. No, for sure. Yeah, definitely it has its challenges sometimes. Like, sometimes you mix up the languages in your head. Like, I could be speaking here about my mom and Irish comes into my head, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's funny, like. When you speak with your mom, like, even after all these years, when you go to your house, do you speak in, in uh, Nigerian, Yoruba, or the, the or English, or what? what's your kind of language that you always speak together? Yeah, so I live at home with my parents, and, like, the languages we would speak is, like, English, Yoruba, like, mostly, mostly, like, my mom would be speaking Yoruba to me mostly, and my dad does too, but I think my mom maybe pushes it a bit more. And, yeah, just from a young age, I've just always been being able to, like, make a connection with the language. Like, it was important for them I'd have the language in my life, you know, that I'd still have a connection. So, yeah, I'm really glad for that, to be honest, because I think a lot of people kind of think, like, oh, you know, we don't want to make our children too different to the rest of the Irish children. We won't bother. Well, like, I think that that's, you're missing out if you have that maybe mindset, to be honest. Yeah, you have to have, you know, your own heritage as well and your family's heritage. I mean, that's a great thing, you know. But yeah, of course, it's really difficult. In your house then, or well, not necessarily in your house, but when you mix all those languages together in your house, I mean, like with English and Spanish, we say Spanglish. So is there a kind of a pidgin language then that you speak sometimes? Yeah, no, there is pidgin English. I wouldn't really speak that as much like... And to be honest, we wouldn't really speak that at home. I think it would be more if, like, my parents were talking to other people, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, girl, I, I, I'm aware of it. Like, I wouldn't be fluent in it now, but I'm aware of it. <laughs> because, I mean, that happens because, like you said, you could be speaking English to your dad and then your mom is speaking Yoruba to you. And then in the middle of all the conversation, this kind of strange, weird language gets mixed up where you're speaking in two tongues and you're like, what is this language? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think actually when people speak Yoruba, they mix a bit of English with it a lot of time, to be honest, like I've noticed that. So it's not that strange. Like The the Kovraleola, the, the, this thing you do, it's kind of like a podcast in Irish, isn't it? A little bit. It's Yeah, so it's a web series at Kovraleola and it's for Love Larry Welga. And basically I interview lots of different, well, a few different people that have interest in Irish language literature or who are authors or writers. So, so far I've been speaking with Owen Peter Merku, Clarity A and Rel Tommy Lanon, who are all writers and um, authors as well. And yeah, like it's, it's just been a really great series as well. And also, you know, talking to people about something different, just having a genuine conversation like about the great things about Irish literature and what we want to see for the future in Irish literature as well. And yeah, it's, people have been enjoying it. It's just great. That's really good because I, I think you're, you know, you're not just kind of showing that the Irish language is there to be learned still, but you're kind of showing it from all different angles, which are different shows. And I mean, and even even a, a question for you, you know, I see there you do research for 2FM and everything and, and RT. Um, is that something that, you know, you find that is very satisfying you for you? I mean, I, are, are you researching things that are important to you or do they kind of give you briefs? Do this, work on this. No, it's actually great because I'm allowed to pitch ideas and that sort of thing. And it's, it's just great to have that openness as well and to bring like new voices to the show. So like I would have had people founders of like rooted in africa and ireland for example or even people from mother's tongues ireland as well representatives and just really minority voices a lot of the time which is just great to put on the national airwaves as well so it's great to be a part of it okay ola i mean it's been a pleasure talking to you and, and i'm going to let you go now i just want to ask you obviously for you know for the this year ahead i should say um you know, do you have kind of some more aspirations of new things you'd like to do? Or do you have objectives you think, I'm going to get them done this year or I'm going to wait till COVID's kind of lowered its head? Yeah, so I've been working on a lot of different projects at the moment. And one that I'm really excited about is one that I'm working with the artist for. So I'm helping him like co-write his EP. And 
he wants to kind of include the black experience in it. So that would be from my perspective. And I just think that's really cool. Like he'll be looking at kind of more Tiernanogue, but of Ireland today. So what would that look like? So I think that's really cool. And I'm really excited. Yeah. With that. And also I've just been working on my writing a lot. I just finished the course there with London Lit Lab. So that's going to help me with a big project, writing projects that, yeah, I'm going to be working on for a good while. So, yeah. Basically, you know, people can keep up with me on Twitter. Um, I'm at all out magic do me one. And then on Instagram at w.majek. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. And we, we will, you know, we'll keep up with you as well. And maybe in the future you'll come on when you're promoting a book or whatever you're doing. You know, you're always welcome on the show and we'd love to talk to you. Uh, listen, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. And as I said, it's, um, it's been very insightful because you've kind of shown us another side and, you know, I, I think, you know, sometimes what we see in the media and on TV is, you know, they like to show the nice side of it. And I don't want to show the bad side, but I like to show the real side. And I like to kind of, you know, to see that the normal life, because the great thing is, you know, for people like yourself and other immigrants who came to Ireland at a young age, you're all Irish. You're as Irish as I am. You're as Irish as everybody is. And you know, the shame is that you have to keep saying to everybody, I'm as Irish as you. And hopefully that will change. But but I think for me, I wanted to bring, you know, you on and show people that there's no difference in any of us, really, in, in any kind of society or culture. These are just things that are part of our heritage. But in our everyday life, we're very much the same. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. it. Okay, Ola, thank you very much. And we will talk to you in the future and take care and best of luck with everything this year. Thank you so much. Ola Magikadumi, everybody. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you very much, Ola. That was a really interesting interview. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for letting us know about all your work and everything you've achieved so far. It's been amazing. Okay, moving on to next week's guest. Next week, we will be talking to Denise Brennan. Denise Brennan is a highly acclaimed, award-winning, and most sought-after singer and performer. She has been performing professionally at home and abroad throughout concert halls, opera houses, and theatres since the age of 18. Denise has enjoyed international touring success, taking centre stage in hit shows such as Bit Wheel and Riverdance, The Show, and as a Celtic soprano soloist with the Dublin Philharmonic Orchestra. That should be really interesting. We look forward to that. Okay, everybody, thank you very much. Take care, look after yourselves, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.